You're tuning into Majoring in the Minors Podcast. Join Mahi and Louie for the podcast you deserve, but not the one you need right now. It is what it is, but it isn't what you thought it won't be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Majoring in Minors Podcast. Today's episode features a very special guest. We had Lil Bianchi Kimball, Lil Kimball, Lil Bianchi, uh, elite powerlifter, overall a very swell and amazing person. I had so I'm still riding the high of uh, doing this episode. We had an amazing episode together. We got to talk about uh, Kimball's past, past um, her competition days, how she be, got into training, how she became a powerlifter. Uh, she's an elite powerlifter with uh, eight years of experience in tra- like com- competing, and before she's been training people way before that. Um, countless gold medals, uh, federation records, uh, national records, and everything else. Uh, but also, the reason I really enjoyed talking to uh, Bianchi is her past, and uh, especially uh, how open she is when she talks about her uh, cocaine addiction. So we did get to talk about that how that has affected affected her and uh, kind of pushed her to who she is right now and like the the journey is incredible and the what she's achieved obviously is incredible i'm uh, i've been like a big fan of her probably has stalked her on instagram for like years with my cohort and partner in crime uh, sophie one of my really good friends so it was just uh, i was pretty much starstruck doing this episode so at the beginning at least uh, i'm still trying to like control myself and not sound too giddy uh but yeah she's also the founder of otg method uh we'll put all of these in the notes for this episode definitely uh check it out and uh, yeah i i just want you to listen to this episode so f- without further ado here we go little bianchi kimball but yeah you're absolutely right like you learn because then people like i even found a lot of beautiful places in the uk itself that was just like wow like this is nice this is I, I can actually explore this like i think we travel too fast too soon you know like we just want to get out yeah it forces you it forces you to explore your own neighborhood a lot more and mm. take a bit more interest in, in where you are you know I know that it did that for me personally anyways. Also being South African and being from a third world country, we always looking to explore elsewhere. We want to, you know, we want to explore Europe. We want to explore the US. And this is just such an incredible country with so much to offer. I'm glad that I've had this opportunity over the last two years to just really explore every inch of it. Yeah. Oh, I I love the way you said, because like, I felt that like, you know, because again, Iran kind of like it is a third world country as well as categorized as one. And I never kind of thought about it until someone asked me, well, like, oh, if I go want to go to Iran, where do I visit? And I was like, well, you know, at first I was like, yeah, I guess there's not much. But then I just like got into the detail more and more. I was like, oh, actually, there's this thing that you can go like there's this city called Isfahan. You can go there. And then like as I was saying it, then I realized, wow, there are so many things that you can actually get someone to visit. And I was like holy hell, like before in my head, it was just, it wasn't as interesting. Because you're comparing it always to what's available in first world countries. Yeah. But it's, it's really special to be from a third world country, you know? Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it, it's an interesting experience. Like uh, it kind is. of, it, it builds you up. But my question is like, because so 
if we, are you you're South African then? I am South African from Italian heritage. So my family is yes. Italian, but born and brought up in South Africa. Yeah, there we go. Because I know like you, you and Mike talked about the Italian part. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm first generation Italian. I was the first South, first South African born in South Africa to an Italian family. So I'm first generation. All right. All right. Oh, they'll have like the, a host of difficulties in itself, I think. Yeah. First generation. Yeah. Um, there's a huge, there's a huge Italian community here, as there is all over the world. Um, huge Greek community. We actually have the biggest Indian community outside of India. Really? Yeah. So in my city specifically has the biggest Indian population outside of India. Wow, that is that's crazy because that's one country. So after Iran, I lived in India for three years as well. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, in Bangalore, South. Okay. Yeah, and that, so it's interesting when I hear like, because everywhere I go, like there's all well, they are uh, big communities everywhere. Because like I hear that about Canada, like you know, it's a big community, especially I think in either Vancouver or Toronto. I know they're two different points, but like one of these cities, yeah. like my friends were telling me, so it's super interesting. But I didn't know that like you would have the second, uh, the biggest. The biggest. Yeah, the biggest uh, Indian population outside of India. That's mental. Um, have you been to India, though? I haven't, and I'm desperate to travel there. I've got a lot of my athletes and a lot of my clients are based out in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely want to take a trip out there um, just to work with my athletes firstly. And also, it's just such a beautiful, vast, incredible country to travel. Um, I was supposed to, okay, this is not India, it's Nepal, but I was supposed to do base camp Everest uh, two days before lockdown. So I had oh, my no. trip, we were going to fly out two days before we went into lockdown. And that trip is still sitting in, in, in credit for me to do. So I was planning to do Nepal. And then uh, once I'd come down the mountain, spend two weeks in India. So I definitely want to plan to do that now in 2022, if there's no travel restrictions, but you can't really plan anything right now. Yeah. So much uncertainty. Exactly. Oh, that would be an interesting, like, that would be a really fun trip because I want to do that because I went to, I went and lived in India and that's a different thing. You know, we, we just discussed it. Like I had to live there. So I had to learn how to live in the country. Yeah. I didn't experience it as much as like. Different perspectives. Different, yeah. yeah, exactly. But then where does Australia come into this? Did you live in Australia at all? No. No. All right. No. It's, it's because of Baz. Like every time okay. like we talk about Baz, I'm like, well, I guess you just met in Australia for some reason. No, actually, I was um, competing in Argentina 2014 GPC Powerlifting World Champs. Mm-hmm. And there was an athlete there by the name of Martin uh, Munez. He was 21 years old. Uh, he squatted 360 kilos. Now, back then in 2014, there weren't a lot of 21-year-olds squatting that kind of weight. So yeah. I was completely thrown by this athlete and anyways we developed a friendship and he moved over to Sydney Australia shortly after world champs and we've been in touch ever since and the first gym he happened to walk into was base gym and that's where he started training so that's how I came in contact with Bass and this is Bass before Bass was Bass I mean you know he this was before he even started working with Thor so I've been with him for many years um yeah so that's how I really reached out to Bass and how that relationship started. Never been to Australia, never actually spoken to Bass on the phone. Really? Yeah, our entire relationship has been, you know, 
remote coaching over WhatsApp and, you know, over videos, but we've never actually spoken on the phone. And I mean, he's taken me to five world championships. So it's been quite an incredible relationship, actually. Yeah, that that's amazing. That's, that's super interesting. And yeah, because yeah, obviously, like, Baz is, is an amazing coach, but like a lot of people always like associate him with Thor, right? But he was like coaching before Thor and he was like getting, like he was breeding beasts pretty much, you know? Long before Thor. Yeah. And like Thor is like the um, icing on the top. But like before that, he. Yeah, it gave him that, it definitely gave him that credibility and it just gave him that, you know, people just noticed him for who he, who he was because of Thor. So Thor's been incredible for his career, obviously. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like, so I'm not going to lie to you, like, I keep, I even before this, like when, before we got in on this call, I messaged my friend because Sophie and I have just like been starstruck by you forever. Like we've just been big fans. Yeah. Because I think. crazy to me. Like I, don't, I, can't, I can't relate or understand as to why, you know. I, so, well, you're f- crazy fucking strong. That, that's why. Because. Uh, <laughs> no, um, so many crazy fucking strong chicks out there, you know. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They're, they're, there's, and they're all amazing. But what happened was, I think, because I went, um, I was like doing a lot of, because I was looking for further education all the time. Like as a PT, I think like you either stop or you just go down the rabbit hole and it just never like ends. And I was like into the works of like Eugene Teo a lot. Like I was just like following Eugene everywhere. Like I did workshops with him when he came to London and then he started his website. And I was like one of the first people who just signed up to his website. And then he had this video of like deadlifts and he had done it with Baz. And I love deadlifts. Like deadlifts just like, it's one of the, it's my baby. Like it just comes easy to me. I love the movement. It's very like intricate. And just watching Baz talk about it, I, you know, love at first sight. Like just, just watch them over and over again. And just like watch those videos. Then I looked into all of his stuff and then I was like, oh, he does remote coaching. So I signed up for his programs. And like follow this program for like a year or two. And then as I was doing it, obviously, like people around me kind of got like noticed and stuff like that. So Sophie, um, my best friend, Sophie, like we, we were just like just absorbing anything Baz had. And then him and Haftor came to the, uh, to London. So we did a workshop with them and met them. I never felt like a baby until I stood next to Haftor, uh, the giant of a man. It was so funny. And um yeah, through like I think he was like just absorbing everything that Baz had, and then he shared one of your lifts, and like Sophie and I were just staring at I can't remember which I think it was a deadlift. It was just like kind of you know that like cartoon moment of you look at the lift, you look at each other, you look at the lift, you look at each other, you're like what the hell? That's hilarious. And uh, yeah, since then like uh, obviously Loki, we both like followed you on Instagram and everything else, and like we're just following you around. And then when you started pre-script, I was like, oh, I had literally messaged. I was like, oh, she's in this group chat. Oh, <laughs> oh my word. That's so funny. Thank you. I appreciate that, though. That's really cool. <laughs> Yo, I mean, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm, this is like, I'm going to tell this story to her like all the time. <laughs> I'm just going to pull this over her head. Be like, guess what? Managed to do a podcast. Uh, and especially about like all the stuff that we're going to talk about, which is going to be super interesting to me. Uh, but yeah thank you so much that's what i want to say you can i'm too giddy now i'm already too giddy i'm like ah it's such a pleasure to be here man it's so nice to talk to like-minded people and you know people who 
from our circle, the ability that we've had to network with coaches across the world and just share experiences and share stories. It's just been so awesome. Yeah, it's mental. Like what you said it, that's one thing, one good thing about the pandemic, right? Like it, yeah. I think it reinforced that idea of like, we have this network, like uh, as much as I'm not a big, sometimes not a big fan of online stuff, but the idea of like, you, you have this the big extended family now, especially that like you just talk to from all, all over the world. And it's just like all these weird, like interesting and like weird experiences that you probably weren't exposed to as much before. And it's just like, uh, it's a, like a click no away. Longer, no longer limited to, you know, the 10 kilometer radius when yeah. it comes to coaching and gyms and, and just, just knowledge. You know, I actually, I've had a few consultations with some injuries that I had um, back in the beginning of lockdown with Andrew Locke, obviously he works with Bass and Bass recommended. And it was just so incredible that I was able to get a full assessment and be treated in a sense by Andrew Locke out in Australia, you know, just by standing in front of a camera and assessing my movements, I now had the opportunity to work with a great mind. And I love COVID for that, you know, there's silver linings and that's a huge one. It is. Yeah, it, it absolutely like the connections, like the, as you said, assessments and like, it's also expanding our horizons like, um, cause you've been coaching for a while now. Right. And like all these tools will kind of apply to your business model or the way you coach people. And you said you have like athletes in India because you do this, they will get the best out of your services as well. I'm assuming. For sure. It's incredible. Hmm. Um, now going uh, from like coaching because I want to get into the coaching as well you've been coaching for more than a decade right decade just going on 12 years now 12 years uh do you mind walking me through this how did you like start hopefully this is not like a uh not boring for you to repeat these stories because I guess everyone keeps asking how did you start what motivated you and like I, I see your stories as well uh, mm -hmm. and like the questions but how did okay, it start so this is going to take us into my cocaine addiction. Sweet. So, all right. So I was a coke addict for 10 years and coming out of addiction, you know, you kind of want to put your energy and your focus into something else. And the first thing I was, I was very athletic at school. I played every sport under the sun. I always excelled in sports. My focus was always in sports. I wasn't an academic at all. Um, so when it came to finding something to put my energy into I got into the gym. I got involved in the gym. And let me tell you something, when your body has thrived on detriment for so long, it doesn't respond like anyone else to, does uh, in the gym. You know what it's like, what newbie gains are like, you know, as soon as you start strength training, you get strong really quickly. Well, it doesn't work like that for, like I said, for someone who's thrived on detriment for so long. So it took a lot of mental resilience to keep going back to the gym and not getting any gains, not seeing any results for months on end. But in doing this, I became quite obsessive over human movements. I became obsessive over uh, weakness and overcoming weakness. Um, so after training for a good year in the gym and dedicating myself to physical fitness and you know the human condition, I decided that that's what I wanted to go into. You know, I used to work in the hotel industry, um, traveled all over and lived all over the world working within hotels, but my heart was there, was never there. I actually come from a very privileged background. Um, my family owned hotels all over the world. So it was kind of just natural for me to progress into that industry. 
by going through my addiction and trying to, to overcome what I had gone through um, and getting into the gym and, like I said, becoming obsessive with human movements, I wanted to further my studies and start educating myself so that I could help more people who had been through what I had been through because I had tried to give up drugs many times in the past. And only when I gave myself to the gym did I really overcome my weakness, did I really start to rehabilitate myself in every sense of the word. So I started studying, um, I went through the normal processes, became a trainer. Um, and in Durban, which is where I was living, I met a coach by the name of Terence Mitchell. Now Terence Mitchell was probably one of the pioneers of old school strength training here in South Africa. He owned a strength facility that was all about grip strength, um, free weight training. There wasn't a machine in sight. He didn't even have his lights on in the gym. It was very much off the grid, you know? <laughs> so he introduced me to the barbell. Um, he took me under his wing. He mentored me. And I went, went into coaching in the strength and conditioning world, with old school methodologies, old school approaches through Terrence Mitchell. He um, worked primarily with uh, combat athletes. So that was kind of my my background and my upbringing uh, and how I got into, into the strength world and into strength and conditioning specifically. It's like baptism by fire, right? Old school. Yeah. I'd never actually worked in a commercial gym. So when I speak to most personal trainers who do their internships or they've got to do their hours, they do them at the local commercial gyms. You know, I listen to all the prescript guys talking about, um, is it good health? I think, which is the big one over yeah. in Canada. And I, you know, for my first five years working within gyms, I'd never been on a pick deck. I'd never used a machine. You know, my, my entire background came from dumbbells and barbells, and that was my background. So getting into something like powerlifting, powerlifting was the main movements that I'd moved and studied and trained to use my body with, um, you know, the bench press, squat, and deadlift. So mm -hmm. I'm just remembering something on my screen. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got to where I am today and how I kind of progressed and um, 12 years later, here I am. All right. Oh, that's, that's super interesting. There's so many things that I want to get into, so I'll try to organize my thoughts uh, first. Is, so that's how you got kind of introduced and started coaching. But then yeah. what kind of kickstarted the competition side of it, like wanting to compete? So like I said, Terence um, was all about barbell uh, training. And the one thing he said to me, now obviously as a woman, like 90% of women, when they enter the gym, their goal is based on aesthetics. They're either there to lose fat or to tone. Um, and, and that was my goal. And Terence always said to me that the deadlift builds the most beautiful bodies because it trains absolutely every fiber of your being from the base of your foot all the way up to your neck, absolutely everything is challenged. So I dedicated my life to the deadlift because I thought, shit, also bearing in mind, when I was coming from addiction, I was walking around at like 46 kilos. I was skin and bone, literally very, very small, very lean, quite a high body fat percentage for such a small little human being. As you can imagine, I had absolutely no muscle tone. So I became obsessed with the deadlift. Um, and I remember at 46 kilos, I had no, no idea about powerlifting. I knew what the sport was about, but I had no interest in the athletes or what people were actually doing. I didn't mm -hmm. follow powerlifting. Um, I didn't know what the human body was capable of strength-wise with regards to the sport. And anyways, I tested a max one day and I pulled 135 kilos at 46 kilos body weight. So obviously my coach then put it up on, or Terence, put it up on Facebook and someone saw that and they were like, wow, that's 
quite impressive for a small girl. There's a powerlifting meet in two weeks time uh, down in Durban Central. Why don't you come down and, you know, let's see what you've got. And I was like, shit, you know, um, okay, why not? I've thrown myself headfirst into a lot of shit in the past without really thinking about it. I mean, if you look at <laughs> drug addiction in itself, you know, I don't really think about consequence at all. Um, so anyways, I go down to this meet and I had no idea about attempts. I had no idea about the rules. I'd never lifted in a monolift. I didn't know about the pause and a bench press. Terence literally just threw me into the deep end. Anyways, it was a GPC uh, affiliated uh, meet. I walked into the meet and in that meet, I unofficially broke the deadlift world record for the GPC at that time. And I was like, fuck. Like, I just thought that girls my size lifted weights that heavy. I didn't realize that what I was doing was quite profound. You know, back then, this is like back in 2013. So again, yes, there's 46 kilo girls now pulling over 200, you know, Heather O'Connor. But back then, it was quite, <laughs> it was quite unheard of. And um, I was just absolutely addicted after that. Obviously addicted to the fact that I'd become quite successful overnight within the sport. But for me personally, you know, now eight years later, I own, you know, over 19 GPC world records, a bunch of European records, 46 South African records, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Like, I'm not gonna sound ungrateful at all to have those records, but every one of those records to me personally just means how far I've pushed myself away from that person that I once was. Mm. So, like I said, it's not about that records. It's about how far I've come over the, the 12 years that I've been in this industry as a coach and as an athlete. And I look back on who I was 12 years ago and it's like, I'm reading a book or I'm watching a movie of somebody else's life because I actually can't even relate to who that person was anymore because powerlifting strength and conditioning has pushed me so far away from that person. I'm at the complete opposite end of the spectrum to who I was. I was mentally weak. I was physically weak. I was emotionally weak. And I feel that my strengths now are not in the strengths that I perform on the platform and in, in the competition, but the, the resilience and the resolve that I've built mentally because of the sport is just is what's been so incredible for me personally. Mm. Oh, the that's super fascinating because like I'm so uh, I'm gonna apologize for this because I assumed like when we talked about like cocaine addiction and you said like you, you have so many records and so so many and you wonder why we're starstruck like you, you do have all these records so I thought when when we first discussed it that uh, the addiction had come as a consequence of the kind of the fame associated with breaking all these records. But then you just threw me out of, you're like, threw it out of the window. You're like, this happened before. And this is a driving force that got you into the fitness. Um, you saved my life. Yeah, exactly. It saved your life. And that, that's kind of, I think, because I like, I always talk about this concept of adversity, right? Like you need something to pull you back to kind of slingshot you forward. And I think that this is a great example of what you've done. It's like, you know, the addiction was taking you somewhere and then like, to go away from that you didn't just recover but you just pushed so far away like you know so far ahead that looking back you don't know that person i agree with that completely and you know so many people uh, along my journey have asked me you know lol if you could go back would you do that first line fuck yes yeah. i would go back a thousand times i will put myself back in that same situation and i will do it over and over because 
I would never ever be where I am today if I didn't have that struggle, you know, and I'm so mm -hmm. grateful for it. And another frustrating thing for a lot of addicts or a lot of people who have been through struggles in their life, people like to analyze situations and go, well, why, is, you know, I've been through a lot of therapy and, you know, I've been to a lot of, a lot of meetings and people like to try to figure out how did you get to that place in the first place? So they go, well, maybe she had a bit of a, a rough upbringing. Maybe she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe it was the people that she rubbed shoulders with. And I hate that. I hate that so much. I hate that your own mental weakness can be put on the shoulders of others. I, like I said earlier, I come from a very privileged background. Um, my family gave me the best of everything. They are the most loving and most supportive. I went to Ivy League schools. There was nothing I wasn't given. And maybe I can look at that and go, it could be ingrained in me that I wanted to live a life of grits. You know, I wanted a struggle and maybe I was given, maybe it was a little bit too easy for me, but I can't blame my family for that. You know, like I said, they gave me absolutely everything. And I wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. I had great friends. I've had great support structures. I was in a moment of weakness. And that was my own, that's my own fault. I'm never, ever going to take blame, like I said, put, put on someone else's shoulders why I was mentally weak in that moment. I can't do that. That was, you know, that was my own, my own breakdown, my own weak moments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i love like because i always say this i will never change a moment in my life because it's put me here right like if i could go back i don't understand that because like when people ask that question like asking you would you fake that take that first line yeah fuck yeah because like look at where you are now yeah and you know what i had a good time i am as addicted to powerlifting as i was addicted to cocaine i loved it cocaine mm. is wonderful it was nothing it was nothing bad <laughs> time you know what I mean I had a good time it served its purpose yes it's shit and I encourage people to never go near it and you know obviously I'm going to advocate not going down that that, that road but it served its purpose at the time and it is what it is exactly it is what it is yeah it is what it is uh so now I'm like power we'll come back to powerlifting and coaching as well but like going a little bit back um how did it like start is it was it just with like you said it's a moment of weakness, right? But was it with friends? Did you start and how did it turn into an addiction, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. So I was, like I said, I come from a, um, a background. I grew up in hotels. Uh, so I immediately went into the hotel industry and I was managing um, some high profile hotels here in South Africa, in Cape Town specifically, where we were rubbing shoulders with a lot of celebrities and also the hotel industry, although it may seem quite glamorous, it is hard fucking work. You, anybody from the industry, not just hotel industry, from the service industry will tell you that you are often working 18 hour shifts. Yeah. And you expected to always look your best, behave your best, be on your best behavior. You've got to be a communicator. Um, you know, I was front of house. Um, so I was in a position where I always needed to be alert and on the go and communicating well. Um, if that makes any sense, and entertaining mm -hmm. guests. We're always entertaining guests. And I was actually with some high profile people at the time, um, bankers who are over from um, the US. And I had to take them out and I had to take them out to the best clubs in Cape Town. And at that time, they were doing a lot of drugs. You know, that's the reputation that, that bankers have or, or anyone who works at that high level. So I wasn't even coaxed into it. It was there, it was on offer. And I was like, hell, you know, like I said, I deal with the consequences later on in life. Let me try this. I know that 
I have a strong will and a strong personality. You know, one good night is not going to translate into a drug addiction. But that's the problem right there. That's the problem right there because what cocaine does is it makes you extremely alert. It makes you feel quite alive. It doesn't take you down a road. You're not feeling depressed and down. And it's, have you ever watched the movie Limitless with Brad yeah. So it's not quite like that, but that's the closest explanation to it. I don't know if you've ever had any experience with cocaine, but it kind of just brings out the best of your personality. You know, if you're doing it, if you if you're doing it in moderation, I was never one of those who was doing too much, but I became addicted to that feeling. I was able to do my job better. I was able to manage my hours better. I was able to be a, a better a better hotel manager. I was growing in my career exponentially. And that's where the addiction came from. It was just because I was able to, to be so much better at my job. I'm very driven. I'm very motivated. I'm very ambitious. I've always wanted to climb the corporate ladder as quickly as possible. And fuck, cocaine was getting me there at a fast rate. Guests were requesting me. They were loving me. They were loving my vibe, my personality. I was able to just be great at my job. And that was the problem. Mm -hmm. Wait. That was the problem, yeah. Yeah, like you said addicted to the feeling like you know eventually it's not necessarily even the drug it's what it enables you to feel like right exactly exactly that was all it was and um also as a woman you don't as women don't pay for drinks when you're out you also don't pay for drugs when you're out you know and when i started spending my own money is when i realized that i had a problem because now it wasn't just friday and saturday nights with clients and guests it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. Um, as a 21st birthday present, I was given, um, it's not a lot in dollars, it's a lot in rands. I was given over $10,000 uh, as a gift from my family as a 21st birthday present. And I put that all up my nose. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's when I realized that it became a problem because it was now Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like I said, it was office hours. I wasn't getting out of bed without touching it i wasn't going to work without touching it i had to have a baggie on me i had to get through the work day um yeah but you don't realize at the time you know because yeah. it's around you all the time and everyone's doing it and it's almost cocaine doesn't have a bad reputation because of the kind of people that do it it doesn't it's not you know it's not like heroin it's not like any of those drugs that have this like dirty association yeah so it's easy to continue doing it for a long long time mm-hmm uh, yeah absolutely it's like it's not crack it's not heroin yeah. but then fast forward like kind of fast forward to the point was there any specific point that you're like all right now this is when i need to change things like did did you hit a like rock bottom at in a way or this yeah there were a lot of those moments um a lot of illness a lot of sickness um mm -hmm. my, my septum started to deviate there was all the there was that side of it where you just start to look terrible and you start to really see it in your physical being. You just, like I said, your body doesn't respond to anything. You just at the absolute depths of being unhealthy. And that for me was a big turning point, just seeing how I was just destroying my body. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I think I've put some pictures out on the socials before of what I look like. And it was just, I think that was, that was a big thing for me. I, I am a woman. Women do care about what we look like. Um, I was no longer like being socially accepted by 
the people that I used to hang out with because I just had gone down such a dark road that people didn't want to be around me anymore. You know, when you're in the hotel environment, people don't know what you were like previously and you're forced into entertaining people, but your own friends and the people closest to you no longer want to be associated to you. That's a big turning point. You know, when your support structure starts to fall apart and people start telling you like, you've got a problem. You don't realize you have a problem until you are the one who says that I have a problem, you know, and, and that's mm. took me a long time to admit that. Yeah. And I went, you know, I went into rehab two or three times before I actually successfully turned my life around. And I think if you speak to any addict, they'll tell you that it's not the first or the second time that they've they've looked for help. You know, it's it's generally like the third or fourth time where things have gotten really bad and you've started to get really sick and you know, you know that's your yeah, things are bad. Yeah. Things can escalate quite quickly it's kind of like a wake-up call right like yeah the third time the fourth time like especially if you keep like going back into it yeah. uh sorry that i was i had a question in mind and it just like kind of poof, went away turn like puff in the air um because even uh, oh yeah i was gonna ask like what about now because i i've tried like you know, I, I tried coke a couple of times didn't hit me we, we were on mdma or mandy most of university time but that's just like you know for club times and stuff like that but uh for me i got i started smoking and then i had to quit smoking and to this day if i see cigarettes even though it's been like seven years that i've been off cigarettes i still crave it so i was wondering like for you is the craving still is still there so it's funny that you say that because i'm also an ex-smoker and i know what you mean when i the smell of cigarettes are disgusting but they also like kind of nostalgic mm-hmm. so you have that first cup of coffee in the morning and you're like mm, you know a smoker would be great exactly you know 12 years down the line i still i can still smell that chemical smell i can still feel that sensation on my gums from rubbing my gums there are many times many dark dark moments now in my life or like I'm, I'm busy going through a divorce which has been really difficult and it's times when you're in weak moments when you think about it and no I will never ever go down that road again I'm comfortable being around it now you know I've really come a long way where people can be doing doing it around me and it doesn't bother me but it doesn't mean I don't think about it it doesn't mean in moments of weakness do I go fuck yeah you know a line mm. would really me out of this right now so yes 12 years down the line just like you say with smoking i think about it often yeah because i feel like in my experiences it never like you don't stop and never want it it's you're always managing those experiences. like it's just a, a it's word. managing yes. managing yeah. yeah absolutely it's managing the craving it's just like reminding yourself because like yes you want it you say you especially said it right like you wake up coffee in the morning that's like that cigarette hits different right and to this day i crave it but like you just have to manage it because you've made that decision of all right no i don't want to be that person anymore so like i think addiction doesn't go away at all like and you know with coke as well is that a lot of people say it isn't so much a physical addiction i mean cigarettes are more physically addictive than than cocaine is it's it's like you said perfectly just now it's addicted to that that mental high and what it gave what it gave you mentally so when there's moments now it's not that i feel like i must have a line it's that it will put me in a, a better mental state and i'll be able to handle certain situations and circumstances quite differently if i was if i was on you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah 
uh, I love this. This like conversations like this are why I want to do podcasts, like like you know, and just talk to people and get their stories. Now we're gonna come back forward again. I'm just gonna like keep pushing yeah. you back and forth between this this spectrum. Um, so because you've trained with Baz, I wanted to say like, did you? Was there any difference between like you know comp- competing before training with Baz? And then starting and training with Bas, because I know you've been training with him for a while now, right? I I think I think I started with Bas maybe two years into my powerlifting career, mm-hmm. and there was a huge change. You know, I spent the first two years coaching myself, and you know what that's like. Like you just don't take accountability. You only do the things you're good at. I had a lot of holes started being created by my inability to focus on my weakness. You know. So um, what did you ask me again now? The difference between Bass, before Bass and after Bass. Yeah. Basically the before and after. Like before, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just, all he did was drill my weakness. And it was the first time in my life that I started to see significant progress quickly. I got those newbie gains fast with Bass. And the incredible thing is, it's now eight years down the line. I'm making incredible gains all the time you know, through my squats and bench press, my deadlift, obviously, you know, I'm deadlifting 3.6 times my body weight. So those increments are small. Now I've fought for over almost two years now for t- to put 2.5 kilos on my deadlift, but that is because my deadlift is where it is. But with my squats and my bench press, they continue to excel with him. And the great thing about bass and the training that I do, and because you've, you've trained with him, you'll know, we're never really lifting heavy weights. So 99% of the focus is on movement and he's constantly tweaking that 1%. He's constantly dialing in on the smallest changes in how I move. And I will drill those changes and those, those movement patterns at 70 to 75% constantly. And suddenly I'll come into a block where he'll take me from 75% to 95%. And it's just incredible to see the games. You know, the first time I pulled, um, I pulled 150 for 10 at 50 kilos body weight. So that was triple body weight for 10 reps. And up until that point, I hadn't gone over 110 kilos in training for a good three phases. So 12 weeks of training at under 110 kilos. And I suddenly went straight up to 150 and pulled it for 10, like it was a walk in the park. And I still had room in the tank for more. So the difference with Bass was that it's just constantly dialing in on that technique, dialing in on that 1%. Um, it's been an, an incredible journey. And it's so funny how, you know, your movement constantly changes. Your leverage is constantly changed. So mm-hmm. you never nail that movement. You never, I mean, I've been squatting and deadlifting with him for five years and every single session, he's breaking down my deadlift and breaking down my squats exponentially. It's never perfect. He's never turned around and said to me, that was flawless. He'll say great work, but change this, do this, lift your chin. You know, it can be the smallest things that just carry over to, you know, the biggest progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what, that's what he's really good at and even talking to you right now like the the couple of things that stood out to me is like you are very driven right and like if someone like you know sounds like more of a type a personality so with that with those people like just saying that you're doing well or like always complimenting them it actually backfire right like you, you need some focal point to just be like yeah that was good but focus on this like keep just to make improvement and he's really good at reading those like you know those lines and like just knowing how to deal with his athletes what makes him 
such a great coach. And because obviously he's, he's coached me for, for so many years, he's been such a great mentor for me personally as a coach, but his ability to communicate. And again, because you've followed his, his training methodology or his systems and you've seen how his programming is, you know, I don't really do more than three movements in a session. It's the ruthless execution of the basics. Um, and it's his, it's his ability to communicate. It's his ability to communicate change and, and, and translate what he wants from the movement to you being able to perform that movement. There's nothing complicated about his programming. You know, programming is not the be all and end all. Anybody can write a program. Programming is the, is the easy part. Um, it's just it's his ability to communicate things that can be quite complex into a very simple form for people who don't understand movement like you or I would, but I look at you know other people ministry and the, the people, the athletes that I work with, communication is, is everything. It's not about mm -hmm. the program. There's, there's, no, there's no science in a sense. You know, it's your ability to communicate what you want and help that athlete translate that into performing. And, yeah. and Beth has that absolutely nailed. And I think that's also why he's such a, he's so good on social media and why he's got such a big following is because anybody can understand him. You don't have to be a high level coach to understand his jargon. He, there is no jargon. He says it how it is in, in, in layman's terms. And I think that is, that is huge for a coach. And it's something that I've taken away from, from yeah. him. Personally. Yeah, same. Like, I think I told you, like, I love the way that, and that's why I was obsessed with the way that he can make really complex ideas very simple and like and digestible. And I picked on that so much that at some points I would say stuff, and I like because because I'm from like everywhere, and my English gets influenced by everybody. Yeah. Sometimes my friends were like, "Maha, why do you sound Australian when you're talking about deadlifts?" I was like, well, I, it's just, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I, I was like, well, it's because I keep watching him and like, you know, I, and I think like, in, in essence, as a, as a coach, you eventually copy great coaches to a point that it becomes your own style. And I'm definitely proud of saying that, like, I learned so much from Baz and I started copying him to the point that I have uh, like an Australian accent talking about like, like heavy barbell. And I was like, what, where does that heavy come from? But yeah. Uh, yeah, he's an incredible, he really is an incredible coach and an incredible athlete. And I think the, the biggest thing for me when and, and why I approached Bass originally is obviously I, I saw what he was doing with, with small females. Um, but, uh, oh shit, what was I going to say now? Just lost my train of thought. Oh, but because he competes at such a high level, he understands the mental approach. And that's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, the there's some incredible coaches out there um, and there are a lot of people that I admire, but if they haven't worked with athletes who've competed at a very high level, it's, it's a totally different ball game. And Bass has that ability to understand the mental space that I'm in three or four weeks out of a meet. And it's, it's so important. Yeah. It's, you said it like programming is not as, as sciencey as we want to make it, but human individuality plays a big role and if you've never experienced that like haven't taken someone to those high levels of competition and like how that person can either like be mentally fortified or suddenly just collapse like well i don't have experiences like on the the world scale like I, i've just done competitions and like kickboxing and just like national level but you could see that like some of our fighters even me myself like suddenly some something that has nothing to do with your training it could be just like, I don't know, something as random of I forgot a charger for my phone and I couldn't, couldn't like set you off. Yeah, it, you just go. And then like a good coach 
has to know how to deal with that thing. Like, and you don't learn that in like, no matter how many periodization books you want to read, that's experience. You don't learn that anywhere else. You learn that. And actually, you know, something I'm very interested in pursuing, um, you know, uh, as part of my education going forward is something involving more sports psychology. Mm -hmm. Because of that element, you know, you, you learn so much as an athlete and as a coach, but the more insight you have into the human mind, um, I think will carry over to us coaches who work with high-level athletes. It, it really will. And I mean, here in South Africa, we don't have a lot of sports psychologists playing big roles in in um, uh, the performance of high-level athletes. So I'd love to be able to to reach out and and see what I can do with some coaches that are uh, coaches courses that are being offered around the world that could help someone like me work with the the kind of athletes that I do. You know. Yeah. I've Please keep me in the loop as well. Like that's something I'll be. Good, yeah. Yeah, definitely interested. And that kind of brings me to your own coaching now, because like, especially, I think kind of similar to what I do is well, not similar at all. You you're on a totally different level, Sally. Sorry, but uh, I do deal with uh, girls who want to get stronger, right? And I think like. I, I love the fact that it's becoming more and more popular nowadays, like back in, like, as you said, like maybe seven, eight years ago, it wasn't like that. Like people just wanted to tone or just lose weight. And it's just like, it was very, very aesthetic, but especially uh, for females getting stronger is becoming more important. And uh, I want to know, like, do you find it, it's easier now to help people and like, you know, is there less stigma for women that they think like if they do wobble movements, they're going to like, you know, get bulky immediately uh, than it was 10 years ago or seven years ago? It's definitely changed. I think it's our responsibility as coaches to constantly educate the people that come into our system um, or into our businesses. So, I mean, I'm sure you'll agree with me, but when women originally approach you as a coach to come and, and join your services, they want the same thing. Women you know, like I said, they're chasing aesthetics, they want that face, that that fat loss, and sometimes you need to communicate to them in such a way that sells them what they want to come into your program, and once you have them in, you can start then educating them, and what I've seen, which has been so incredible, is that the women that I've worked with have used what they've learned from me as a coach, and I see them communicating these same things to their daughter's and, you know, and, and that's the incredible thing. And that's why I always say it's our responsibility as coaches to constantly educate women because there isn't enough out there. You open, okay, magazines are a thing of the past year. I feel like I'm almost showing my age talking about magazines. <laughs> um, you know, if you open any, any commercial magazine or you look at what's available out there on muscle and fitness and all these websites, it's not educating women. It's really, really not offering the right kind of information to them. So you can't blame them. A lot of coaches get frustrated, you know, when women assume that they're going to get big and bulky, but that's what they've been told. You know, that's what they're reading. And there's just not enough of the right minds within our in industry educating the right information to women. But the changes that I've seen over the last 10 years have been incredible. And I, I'm fortunate because I am a petite girl. You know, people do believe me a lot easier than they would believe a male like yourself or, you know, a girl who is a lot more muscular. So it has come a lot easier for me to communicate the benefits of strength because, you know, the proof is in the pudding uh, yeah. with me, you know. So I think the more women get involved in strength sports or even just any sports, 
the more women see that athleticism is an attractive thing rather than chasing that general goal of fat loss, becoming more performance-based, becoming more athletic, um, they will get those bodies that they want without focusing on the actual fat loss, but focusing on what their body's able to do. Yeah, exactly. And I love that you guys do this because like if, uh, majority of my clients are women, but when I train, because as you said, I will not, I, I'm a like a big hair, not a big hair dude, but I'm like a dude that doesn't, he's not petite, but he's not big because like, Look yeah. at guys like Baz and Jordan Shallow and those guys. <laughs> those are big. But for me to communicate these changes, that's what like I, I love having all these like people that I kind of look up to you yourself, uh, Katie, Sophie, and things like you know, girls who are strong and they're in really great shapes. So and every time I can use that to be like, well, look, th- yeah, this example. So like that's again another part of like social media that I love is like, oh, look this person does it and look at them, this person does it and look at them and see they're talking about the same things that I tell you. So even as male PTs, I think we should appreciate the fact that more women are coming into the industry because like those are the images we can point at, right? And as you said, like magazines or other social forms of social media or information, that's just, it's still wrong. It's still like, it's still selling the same old, like do this to lose belly fat and things like that. So that's one thing I love. Yeah, and it's quite it can it can be quite challenging because social media can be good and bad for that. You know, there's a lot of these like fitfluencers mm-hmm. who are selling the wrong messages. And unfortunately, because they've got a massive following and a huge base of people listening to what they have to say, it goes against us smaller guys who are really trying to educate because they are the first people that someone who doesn't know anything turns to. You know, they're going to go to a famous fitfluencer and listen to what they have to say. And because they have over 100,000 followers, they must be right. So I yeah. think that's, I mean, I'm sure you'll agree with me there. Yeah, I, I think I'm uh, in this point, I'm like, I'm a bit of a, my mindset's kind of changed to the point that because we, I think you and I were exposed to same, like, you know, magazines and things like that. We were exposed to all this jargon and like this false information. But then eventually people, if they want to think deeper and like, you know, if they ha- want to have common sense, they know that there is a layer behind this and they start pursuing that. So before I would get upset at like, you know, I can't reach a bigger audience because I don't have that many followers and stuff like that. But then I, I now I'm content with the fact that I'm going to do what I do. And then the people who want to pursue more will come and find us behind that big fit fluencer, yeah. right? Because they realize that that fitness is not giving them the right answers. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, I'm going to use CrossFit as an example here. I love mm-hmm. CrossFit. And the reason I love CrossFit is that it's put a barbell in so many more people's hands and it's given people a little bit more insight to powerlifting. So CrossFit's brought a lot of people into powerlifting. So I'm grateful for CrossFit for that. And I'm not comparing CrossFit to the fitfluencers, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I know where you go it's bringing people into the the world of strength you know yeah the fifth fluencer no matter how bad they do it they just at least they're putting spotlight like again when eight years ago ten years ago it was cool to be drinking and smoking and things like that now it's cool to be in the gym and you know what perfect like it's good obviously it'll have its drawbacks but like yeah go you know back again when i was at uni like uh I even forgot when, how old am I? When was it? Okay, yeah, 10 years ago. Uh, it was good. Like, if you were the person who was like, you know, doing drugs or, you know, you know, you had someone and you could bring like uh, Mandy and MDMA or Coke lines and things like that, 
you'd be the cool guy, right? You know, and people would just like, you would get more friends in a sense. And that's why I kind of weird away from that because it was like, that's taking me down. But now the cool guy is the person who has like a good squat, like or a heavy squat or like knows how to bench or like deadlifts without hurting their back. Yeah, that's very true. Times have changed. Yeah, they've changed hopefully for the better. Um, I was going to ask you, like with your clients, are they more, um, what's the ratio? Do you train more women or men? So, and in I've, between, sorry, I, I'm trying to be more c- correct as well. Like anything in between as well, but like for the sake of the conversation. When I, when I first started uh, working with athletes, I started working with men. So I had 90% men, 10% women. And that was also purely because there weren't a lot of women uh, in South Africa who were interested in strength sports. And I, you know, I went headfirst into powerlifting and into pursuing, um, you know, powerlifting as a speciality. So I had 90% men, 10% women. And that was a challenge in itself because as a 52 kilo woman, you know, trying to coach men and as a female strength and conditioning coach back in 2013, 2012, we were few and far between, especially in a country like South Africa, where we are already 10 years behind the rest of the world when it comes to education within the strength world, when it comes to anything, you know, South Africa is literally 10 years behind the rest of the world. So I had my own battles trying to break into the industry and trying to obtain people's trust um, and I had to use, I I knew that I had the knowledge because I was so dedicated to my education and, um, you know, just to to my personal growth and the the kind of research and the kind of coaches that I used to reach out to all the time. I really dedicated um, my life to learning as much as I can to strength. So I knew that I had the knowledge, but I had to get people to believe in me. Um, And so what I did was I started by approaching young guys who had no interest in strength sports, who were, you know, just average boykies in the gym who were trying to be strong. Um, And one of the guys that I started working with was, um, he was 110 kilo lifter, but he's now sitting ranked number 110 kilo lifter in the country, multiple South African records, competed all over the world. And I used him as a way of saying, look guys, look at what I can do. And that's how I started attracting all my men. So I started with 90% men. I probably only had between 20 and 30 athletes back then, but they were 90% men. Now that has changed dramatically since COVID. Since I've now been able to branch out internationally that much more, and I'm now coaching so many more athletes around the world, I've now probably got a split of 70% female, 30% male. And that 30% men that I have, are the same men that started with me seven years ago. So my athletes that started with me as powerlifters have been with me since the beginning. I have a very, very low turnover uh, of athletes, which is incredible um, for an income, firstly for an income to have that recurring income, but also to just have that consistency. And for me, one of the biggest things that I try to advocate as a coach is exactly that. What happens with a lot of athletes that I notice and I see around is that they're constantly changing their coaches. So they don't get the results they want after six months to a year. So they get another coach. It's not about the coach, but it's about the consistency and sticking to a system and sticking sticking to a methodology, uh, especially with strength sports where gains don't come overnight. You know, you've got to be really consistent across the board. Um, so I've, like I said, I've had the same athletes for the last seven or eight years, which have been incredible. I've picked up, you know, a whole bunch of guys since then, but the base of my client base is the same guys that started with me all those years ago. 
um, obviously as a woman and having competed all over the world and just having a little bit more credibility as a powerlifter, a lot more women are trusting in my ability as a coach. So picking up female clients has never been a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, with your clients, um, what kind of, because I know you do like most, a lot of it remote as well. Uh, what kind of services do you offer to them? So when you sign up with uh, OTG, so OTG method is obviously the business. I used to have a facility here in South Africa called OTG Athletic, which we closed down. I had that for seven years. Um, So when you sign up with us, you'll get myself, a strength and conditioning coach. You get an accountability coach and you get a full-time nutritional coach. So you have three coaches literally running circles around you. So that's great for a client that's, you know, looking for for fat loss and fitness and, and the basic the basic, uh, you know, general clients, but for an athlete, they don't really need that. They get it, but they don't need it. I find that, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here, you don't need to motivate an athlete. Look, if you don't want to train today, don't train, but your squat is going to be affected. Your bench is going to be affected. And athletes are driven by competition. And that's why I love working with athletes so much because it doesn't matter when I, you know, when I say that I work with athletes and I only work with performance athletes, that also means the complete novice. Anybody who's looking to compete in something I work with. Um, and like I said, that's just incredible because they're driven by that competition. It makes it easy to work with. It, it really does. And I, I love working with people that are driven by performance. Yeah. It, like they have a goalpost that they go through, right? Like even I, I'm the opposite. I train with a lot of like gen pop clients mm-hmm. and things like that. And it starts, as you said, like even earlier, hiding this um they come in with a goal and i'm like yeah sure you want to tone bring it around the tone but then slowly bring it bringing it back and like trying to build strength and other things and i've found that like if we talk i've started talking about competition with them a lot because like it's an interesting stimulus you know like you're like oh yeah maybe i could do that and then like you never know where that's going to take them and that, that driving force that you talked about like they'll be driven i think a big thing for me as well as a coach is the importance of a nutritional coach, especially when it yes. comes to performing athletes. And I think it's something that too many athletes neglect or don't take seriously enough when it comes to their performance. And when I brought my full-time nutritional coach on in January this year, I was doing, I was playing both roles with my athletes, but I have a large amount of athletes and it's hard work being the coach, the nutritional coach and the strength coach to these athletes. And I was just spreading myself out too thinly and I needed to bring on a teammate and an athlete of mine, she's a very, very high level um, powerlifter is also a professional nutritional coach. So I brought her on and now we are this formidable team and we've been able to give 100% to our athletes on both fronts. And the changes that I've seen in my athletes and in their performance, now that they are taking their nutrition that much more seriously, having her on my team, talking them through their midday nutrition um, it's just been an absolute game changer for my athletes. It really has. And I'm just so grateful that we are able to offer our athletes such, such a highly skilled coach to help them be better on the things that they didn't realize were so important. Yeah. Especially a coach who competes themselves, right? Like that, that's, that's the element. Yeah. And she's been through her own amounts of her fair share of uh, water drops and weight cuts and she understands and she understands the mental the mental approach because just like it is with performance 
when it comes to that nutrition and that last week before a show, whether you're a bodybuilder or you're a powerlifter or you're bound by a weight class, that is the hardest part. The training is that you're not even training in that last week of competition. That nutritional coach is literally to have her in your pockets is an absolute game changer. Yeah, it's a godsend. Like, godsend. as you said, you're not, you're not competing. You're just kind of fighting with this idea of like your, your head's playing games on you, right? Yeah, and you start to feel so weak in that final week coming into a comp because you've cut your carbs, you're cutting your water, you're going through so much. And to have her on your side, you know, assuring you that what you're doing right now is not going to affect you on meet day and her knowledge just, you know, refeeding you into being able to perform on meet day. It's just, it's, it's crucial for athletes to have that support. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, going back to the, like the, the ratio that you have, you know, between men and women, uh, and like you said, started more with men and now it's actually more women. Do you have a preference? Do you like, do you prefer training, especially now in this point of time, like men or women, or are you just like, as you said, like you like people who are driven, doesn't matter. That's a really good question. Um, wow. I, I obviously really enjoy working with both. I'm not going to say one over the other, but what I love about men working with men is that they have egos mm -hmm. and an ego is something that will drive a man to do anything with women because we have our own sets of issues especially when it comes to powerlifting and um you know a lot of women weeing on the platform which is a huge thing um when it comes to deadlifting i'm the kind of girl i've weed on platforms all over the world i don't give a fuck i'm not putting that weight down but most women don't really think like that so yeah. With men, because they have egos and because they've committed to a number, they will not stop at a single thing until they've gotten that number. And that sort of aggression and want and need, I see more in men than I do in women. And this is just in strength sports because women are a little bit more afraid to push the envelope. Mm -hmm. Girls, I love working with my woman. I'm not saying that I don't, but that the one thing that sets that apart, that separates the two is that ego and i hate ego i really do hate it but in sport i find it's an absolute essential yeah yeah, yeah. love what you said because like in sports it, it's a make or break it but like as i said i deal with general pop population so in that sense ego is just like it, it's a nightmare right you know it's yeah, like it, it's so hard to break that in in like especially like when people are just working aesthetically but where it's like competition, then it, it's it's an absolute driving force. So, hundred yeah. percent to that answer. <laughs> really liked it. Uh, now I'm gonna go back again because this is how my brain works. I go very laterally, like different things. Just like I just jump branches because okay. I, I find things very fascinating. <laughs> That's okay. I'm similar. Yeah, uh, I can. Yeah, we we both do that. Um, one thing that I've been meaning to ask you for a while is like, and again, you answered in one of your stories and you have, which makes sense. You're like, you know, talking about the, the addiction, your mental fortitude does make sense. Cause like you just had to kind of go into fitness and push yourself towards like, you know, just doing that and um, being driven. Uh, but I, I want to kind of get deeper into what, how your brain works because i saw one of your posts sorry I, I this is getting so long i don't even know if the question is going to make sense what i'm going to say is i saw your answer to a story and i was like 
fuck yeah this is why i really want to have a conversation with her and it was a question along the ways of like um kind of do you want to leave a legacy behind or what do you want to be remembered as and people like always talk about like i want like my kindness to be remembered or this or that and the first thing you said was like i, I think it was along the lines of like there are so many other things that should be remembered right now right than like what i'm doing like there's so many things that are happening in the world that like should be remembered at this point in time and that just clicked i was like this is a person who's thinking outside of the box like who's who kind of is self-aware enough to not put herself first if that makes sense right and i want to know how like what ha- what happened because not that many people have that like what got you there if this question makes sense i'm sorry if it was so long but you know where i'm going yeah, with this i understand what you're saying i think i don't find what i do profound i don't mm-hmm. find that there's you know there's we're a dime a dozen as coaches and strength and conditioning coaches and like i said the reason why i said there's so many things happening right now that are making history rather than remembering you know something that i may have done as a as a coach as an athlete um i don't feel like you know that's also why i said in that answer that i really want to be remembered if i'm going to be remembered for how i made someone feel and for me you know i look back on my past and i look at my coaches and the things that i remember about them is not how they you know helped me lift a weight or got me to achieve a goal but how they've helped me overcome things and i've remembered them for those reasons as you know what i've achieved personally and mentally overcoming certain things in my life and that's what i would prefer to be remembered for you know if someone's on their own personal journeys it's not about winning scoring the the winning touchdown it's it's where they were mentally at the time and hopefully i've contributed to helping them be a better person or a stronger person a more resilient person mm-hmm. so that was the answer you're looking for yeah exactly like you you kind of even put the question in better terms than i did but i think like sometimes as coaches we and i'm battling with this a lot is like we think of self of ourselves too important we take ourselves too important or too serious and we think like we're dictating someone's life oh i'm changing this person for the better but now i'm valuing the relationships i built with them rather than necessarily the goals they get out of it it's talking about ego now and i think one of the most unattractive things for me are, is ego in coaches i see a lot of mm-hmm. coaches using their athletes performances yes you must use your athletes performances to promote yourself as a coach but they almost miss out on enjoying the achievements of that athlete by rather saying you know using it as well this is why i'm a great coach and forgetting to to really appreciate what the athlete has done does that make sense yeah 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 it's so ego, ego amongst coaches is something i look at coaches like that and i go i never want to be like that you know yeah like when they take the that i don't know the objective outcomes of just training right and like those relationships that we they build like for me some of the like the proudest moments i've had is yes obviously it's good when you set out a goal and like you know one of your girls or like one of your athletes in your case lifts a certain way or like you know win that competition or for me it's just like when the girls are like doing a squat or like a pull up that they never could do before great yeah. right but that's just like it's a number it's it doesn't matter but like when i hear messages like listen today i just set up this uh bookshelf all by myself and i couldn't do this two years ago 
uh, fuck i love those moments because it's just it's just a, like it's, it's such a tangible moment of like yes training works or like i'm um, in your case probably it's getting them out of a certain mood before a competition right the competition itself it's how what they've done with us in our one hour a day translates into the other 23 hours of their day you know hearing about my goals and how they've stood up to their bosses at work or how they've had the confidence to say something in the workplace that they wouldn't have before because they've built physical strength they now have mental resilience and it's those things who cares whether you can deadlift 100 kilos no one fucking cares people ask me on a day-to-day basis how much do you lift they don't care nobody actually cares what you do care about is how that weight has made them feel outside of the gym and what the, what it's enabled them to do on the outside in everyday life. And I think that's the biggest thing for me as a coach personally. I love seeing their achievements on the platform, but it's it's the other 23 hours of the day that really counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm happy you said that the other 23 hours, because sometimes you reset ego and the coaches. We just have one hour of their day, right? Just one hour. And sometimes we think too important of that hour. Like, yeah. oh, oh, I did this. Like, the, it's the other 23 hours, as you said, talking back to, like, having, finding their voice even. I feel like that's very important. I like that, especially for women, because women don't easily find their voice. So strength, strength training has been a huge thing for a lot of women because it's enabled them to find that voice. I really like that you put that that way. I know that it helped me find my voice. It. And like, if I could break down at least my coaching in the sense is just like helping people find their voice, being able to like, you know, just, just be out there. As you said, weights don't matter, especially because I'm weak. So I don't want to talk about how much I lift. Like, you know, <laughs> you don't need to know that. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no one cares. I mean, even like I look at powerlifting as a whole and it's, it's an, the sport is an absolute fetus compared to other sports. Nobody actually cares about powerlifting. And as much as I love it and as seriously as I take it and as obsessive as I am with it, nobody actually cares. Hashtag Killian Hamilton, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> nobody actually cares. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm really happy like we talked about this because like I love the way you look at it as well. And it's good to see people like this who just kind of have similar ideas because, as we said, social media, sometimes it's just a nightmare because you see copy and paste of the same mindsets over and over again. So it's good to have these conversations and be like, no, people do think like that. No, people do care about other co- like, you know, they're, they're athletes and the people they train and like they do go over and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's been- Sorry? said it's been awesome chatting to you it's just been such a cool conversation yes and oh thank you so much but like as i said that i just have if you have time i'm gonna ask a couple more questions i've got nowhere to go sweet perfect um so you have that you've built up your system like you know your nutrition coach and you coaching your um, athletes what's the next step like, are you going to uh, expand this team even further? Are you looking into? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my, my biggest focus on a day-to-day basis as a businesswoman, first and foremostly, is scaling my business. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I have uh, like understudies or coaches who, are, there's, there's five coaches in my team, and I'm working with them on a day-to-day basis because ultimately I want them to do my job. I want them, I want to develop them into great coaches, both performance coaches and just, you know, gen pop coaches. So that's 
one day they can take the reins. At the moment, my business for the last 12 years has, although I have a, a team of, of coaches under me, under me, does really bottleneck at me. Because when people sign up with OTG, the athletes are signing up with Lil Bianchi. And that, that can make it quite challenging. Um, you know, with, with any coach that signing up with Bass, you're signing up with Bass. So I think for me right now, it's, it's learning to, to overcome that. And I'm not too sure how I'm going to overcome that long-term, but I want to develop my brand as, you know, you come to OTG for the great coaching and it's not necessarily for Lil, but the whole brand believes and lives the methodology. We teach, we teach the methodology and you will get the results from the methodology, not just from Lil Bianchi. Um, so right now, the, the scale of my business depends on my ability to get that right. Yeah. And what do you think are the challenges with that? Sure. Um, I think it's creating, it's hard to create credibility. You can't create credibility. And in our industry and anyone, I mean, in many different industries, lawyers, doctors, you go to the individual. So there's so many challenges that I'm not too sure how to overcome, how to overcome yet at the moment. I'm trying to develop the athletes that I have who are interested in education and interested in pursuing careers within our industry. I'm really trying to encourage them to do it because the more respect they receive as athletes and as coaches, the more I am able to develop this OCG method and scale it with a group of great coaches and great athletes. I think yeah. I'm in a I'm in a great position now within my business where, like I said, you know, I owned a facility for seven years and the biggest problem with owning a gym is all you can really focus on is growth and you can't really focus on scaling. And the digital world has allowed me to really scale my business hugely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with the accountability, because I was playing with that idea and I was trying to find out like what accountability is for me and you kind of said it even with yourself or Baz is I think it's the name, but also like name is just too, too superficial. I was trying to find out like what's, what makes a name, right? Cause as you said, there are so many athletes out there. There are so many coaches out there and I could strip it down to personality. Like I was like, all right, this person is uh, who they are, uh, are where, where they are right now in the fitness industry because of, at the end of the day, their personality. And then I was thinking, how can you replicate that personality? I don't know if you think like, it's hard, right? You can't replicate the personality. So that's when it's hard to scale. About creating a culture around your personality. So yes. The culture, the culture within your brand, the culture within your business, you've, you've got like-minded people who believe and think in the same way that you do is probably the best approach that, mm -hmm. you know, that I would take anyways yeah and i'm assuming otg is doing that right now right yeah. i mean we yeah we we're working on doing you know a couple of years ago i actually looked at and i had a social media team come on to manage my business social media and within two or three months i had people contact me and say like they were asking me about my social media because they could actually pick up on the fact that it was no longer my language anymore mm -hmm. you know and it's the smallest things and it's so crazy to you don't quite understand how other people perceive your business or how other people perceive you until you have it in someone else's hands. And I immediately stopped doing that. And you know what? I actually took some 
not some guidance, but I looked at um, Bass's wife, Felicia, Felicia and Dinny, who run Bass Body Babe, and they've got half a million followers. And that's a huge, huge social media following. And Felicia said that she will never, ever have someone else run her social media accounts. And you know what? Running your social media accounts is not a big thing. It's not a lot of work. You know, it may take you a couple of hours a day to write content to make sure that it's right and et cetera, et cetera. But it's your responsibility and your whole business can lie in the hands of your social media. Um, so it's important that you do that yourself. It's your culture and it's your personality, like you say, that you're trying to sell and put out there. You can't get someone else to copy you. They're never going to be an exact replica. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You can get your team of coaches to, to well, you really do employ people who are like-minded, you know, so they're really thinking the way that you do, but you're never going to get anyone to speak your language. And yeah, because you're like, I'm just like anyone else who would sign up with, with you is like, they at, at the end of the day, they are buying your personality. They're not buying the, the, the training method, methodology in that much of a sense, right? Yeah. They're buying into you and the person that you are and the way that you're communicating, the way that you're making them feel. Mm -hmm. A lot of coaches don't look at that as coaches because they are looking at performance, but it's how you're making that athlete feel. Yeah. And th does that kind of scare you in a sense? Because like uh, that does keep you in that bottleneck of the OTG. So it, it feels like you cannot step back. Like you're still, uh, the way I think of it, Westside Barbell and Louis Sim is like, you cannot separate them from each other, right? So you just have to. Look at him. He's still, he's still working. And yeah. I, I, I see myself like that one day. And I hope to be because my job gives me purpose. And I hate to think about retirements. I hate to think that, you know, in my 60s, I've got to stop doing this. I think fortunately we're in a position where we don't have to, especially if you run a remote business like I do, where my, my job is no longer physical. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not spending 12 hours in the gym every day working with my athletes like I used to be. I can now sit at my laptop and it doesn't take any energy. So hopefully I can still be sitting here in my 80s communicating with, <laughs> with my athletes, you know? Why not, right? Just that That's why we train for as well, right? Longevity. Exactly, exactly. And I, so with still going like towards like scaling the business how big of a team do you think is too big because you still want to keep that personality involved right and like and i feel like the more you bring people in the, like it gets more diluted yeah absolutely i think it's not so much about the team but more so about the clientele so the, the focus or the direction we've kind of taken is, you know, we don't want too many athletes or too many clients per coach because it becomes diluted. So we just want more quality clients and more quality athletes coming in who are prepared to pay a little bit more for the service that they're getting. And that's how we look at scaling our business. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Sorry. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that actually makes sense. Sorry, I just had my cat bite my hand <laughs> as i was trying to like <laughs> attention yeah i was trying to comment on the bad kitty oh um now that's the business side of it like does otg have anything outside of training like um because i see you go on hikes and like you know we, we talked about exploring south africa itself and like you know just being outdoors and like i feel like it also has a uh or potential to have something just 
outside of training like they're building the community aspect of it so i think we don't really i mean we all about we all about training nutrition and lifestyle and mm -hmm. you know yeah and lifestyle a huge part of lifestyle is your nutrition and a big thing for us is educating people on how to navigate navigate every day's situation so our nutrition coaches play a huge role we have a lot of clients who purely come to us for nutrition uh, because of that, you know, like I said, we are very, very hands-on. Your nutritional coach is in your pockets and they're there helping you navigate every sort of situation. Um, with regards to um, like OTG outside of training, no, that's that's pretty much what we do and what we offer. Oh. Um, yeah, we we all about creating community, obviously, and creating super fans. I think to, we have a lot of people that just buy into you know, our belief systems, they don't even, they don't even invest in us financially. It's just having those people who believe in what OTG do and mm. start to live the OTG lifestyle. You know, they, they believe and live the way we believe and live, if that makes any sense. And I love having that. I love, yes, they may not be investing in our business financially, but they are starting to live the OTG lifestyle. And I think that's huge. It's creating those super fans. It's, it's been, it's been incredible actually seeing it yeah uh if you want if you were to that kind of put otg lifestyle into a couple of words how would that be training and nutrition or is it like yeah training and nutrition i would say that our approach is there's one word and that's raw i like that it's raw it's raw yeah it's raw we're very very honest we're blatant we don't there's no there's no fluffiness we don't treat you like you a special snowflake uh we do in the sense that we we look after you as an individual but we say things how they are and you either like it or you don't like it people come into the system and if they don't like how we do things they leave and that's okay yeah. we don't try and hold on to hold on to people or sell them something that we aren't you know this is who we are this is what you're going to get this is where we can take you if you want to, we've got a saying within the coaches and it's just do what it says on the fucking tin. This is what we give you. If you do what it says on this tin, you will get the results that we are promising you and you will live the OTG life that we live. But you have to do what it says on the tin. If you don't want to do what it says on the tin, you can go elsewhere because there are many other options. Hmm. Brutal honesty, right? Like, Yeah, that's why I say raw because we are raw and brutally honest in in every sense of the word and we either rub you up the wrong way or you fit right in mm. and there are enough people on this earth for us to be able to say you know that we can be in that position to do that because we've had a lot of people turn away from us but we want to work with the kind of people who want to be part of our system yeah. it's it's the same personality again like you know it's, it's that culture like you want to attract the people who who, who do belong to that culture uh, but what are so because I was I was still interested in like you know the, the things you do outside on your social media. So what are Bianchi's other hobbies apart from training? So I've recently got into to hiking. Obviously, I did uh, Kilimanjaro recently, which is the highest peak in Africa. I'd really like to do Aconcagua, which is in Argentina. Um, Aconcagua is said to be harder than Everest because of the terrain. It's not. The height, obviously, Everest is a lot higher, but it's a very dangerous climb. Mm -hmm. um, you know, climbing Kili was no, never something I personally wanted to do. My 
ex-husband had spent his whole life wanting to climb Kelly and because he's traveled all over the world and literally been at my side at every platform I've dragged him to you know th the smallest towns and cities in the eastern Bloc to places in South America that nobody would ever travel to he's done a, he had done a lot for me and I had to put my powerlifting on the back seat to kind of give back to him and it was so funny because Kilimanjaro just became this incredible experience that I never ever knew would be something that would blow my mind the way it did and I went I came down that mountain a different person to who I went up that mountain as and now that's all I want to do I want to I mean I'm, I'm not saying I want to climb the seven summits I'm not saying that I don't but I have found a very spiritual um a spiritual hobby yeah makes sense you know I connected with myself and with someone I didn't even know existed up there and I'm just so excited to, to discover more of that little Bianchi that I did on that mountain and there's this the sense of being outdoors and and challenging yourself physically by what the earth has to challenge you with you know Kilimanjaro was an easy climb anybody can climb Kilimanjaro summit night is not something anybody can do and that just, it just, it put me in a position where you're either going to live or die. You know what I mean? Your, your body just starts to give up on you and you, you sort of faced with a, a set of challenges that no sport is ever going to give you. Yeah. With powerlifting, you don't want to lift the weight, put it down. You know, you don't want to get under the bar, don't. But when you're up there and you're being faced with the elements and you've got no choice but to survive. I mean, on our summit nights, it was minus 22 degrees. Uh, the air is obviously very, look, I'm making it sound a lot worse than it is. Kilimanjaro is really easy, but for someone who had never had any invested interest in putting myself in that position or those yeah. situations, it was a huge challenge for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, like I said, you, you learn a lot about yourself and it, it tests you in ways that nothing ever really could. Yeah. So outside of the gym now, that's something that I'm definitely pursuing. Mm. I, I think like it's the idea of like even, the mental fortitude that you have it's on the platform like we do sports that's very as you said like even powerlifting it's kind of a static sport you're just like in place do it don't do it you fail like that's it whereas yeah. survive like surviving is more of a human thing like it's 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 kind of like the in prescript like action versus function of things like you know like action would be the powerlifting whereas the function would be like surviving on this mountain and I just want to put myself in more of those situations where I'm, I'm forced to forced to survive. Kind mm -hmm. of keeps you alive. Is there anything else that you found that like kind of gives you the same experience or same feeling? No. No, nothing. Nothing that I've personally experienced. Um, mm -hmm. You know, powerlifting and 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 summiting a mountain was so different, but also so similar. You know, in the sense that. The training for powerlifting requires a serious amounts of resilience. Yeah. It does. It's, it's boring. It's mundane. Um, and if I didn't have that experience, I don't think I would have been able to do what I did on that mountain. And there were a lot of personal things that happened on that mountain that made it so much more challenging for me. And I have to be grateful to my past and having the strength, you know, we decided to do Kelly in the space of a month. We had no physical prep for it. You know, I climbed one or two, did one or two local hikes here, you know, two weekends before. And having that, this is what I try to tell people is training for strength is so crucial because you can, you can put yourself in a position where you're able to now 
you know, like you said, clients who are who, who can build a set of shelves or whatever it was. When you have strength, you're able to do those things. I was able to just go and climb that mountain with absolutely no preparation. And I love that I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. It's a mental fortitude, right? Like it's, it's the reps and sets, but mentally they're like you've just put into work, like you know, like, okay, how mundane it is, how hard it is, how difficult it is. You mm-hmm. just have to, or even just, going even further back because i think you have that disadvantage of like even uh quitting right because it, it's still the same thing it's just up in the it, it's mostly in your head rather than anything else like you know yeah. when i tell you a quick story when when we got to summit what happens the top of kilimanjaro there's a point called um stellar point which is it's the top of the mountain that you get to just before you summit. You've got to go another 800 meters so that you're actually at the elevation that is the highest point of Africa. But Stellar Points is pretty much the top of the mountain. And we got up there and I remember overhearing an American girl that was with us. And she got there and she's like, oh, fuck this. I'm going back down. I'm fucked. I don't want to go to Uhuru Peak. She's like, I'm done. I'm broken. I can't do this. And I thought to myself, you have just gone up. You've gone through the hardest parts. And now you're not willing to go the last 800 meters. Yes, that last 800 meters is going to take you an hour and a half because you're walking so slowly because the air is so thin. But for fuck's sakes, woman, like this is how far you've gotten. How can you not push yourself to that point? And it made me so angry because my husband, my well, my ex-husband got to Stella points and he was literally being carried to that point because his body had given up. And even he was prepared to take one two, three more steps to get to her peak. And she was fine, but she didn't have the mental strength to go the last 800 meters. Mm-hmm. And I was frustrated as fuck. And look, I don't know her personally or what the situation was. So I can't really point fingers here, but you, you get at what I'm saying. Is yeah. that me in that moment, you've come this far. How can you not push through? You know, it was, yeah, it was just mind blowing for me. And yeah. It's crazy, but also like, as you said, like, You've been so far, like it's just so much you've done, but it's funny how human brain, like when it gets to that point. Yeah. And I'm grateful that um, I have the mental strength to never be in that position. And I think a lot of us as athletes or as people who are driven within our our industries and, you know, I think we're all quite similar in that way. You know, any any of us who find success in some form are there because it's that last 1% that we're willing to push through. Yeah. Because you get that in training, right? Like, yeah. or on a smaller scale, like there's that a point. Rep, right? Yeah, yeah. You want to make that last rep, but you don't. It's those people who make it in life. I love that. Yes, that's that's really good. Uh, I think like that's a high point. Like we talk about the summit, and it's a high point as well. So, like we can bring this to an end. Um, I'm gonna do an introduction and everything at the beginning, but obviously at the end, not that many people. We always joke about like we have imaginary listeners, but not that many people listen to this anyways. Uh, but if there's, there are any plugins that you want to put at the end? Um, you know, if you're looking to, to reach out to me, you can find me on social media. It's uh, um, Instagram's lil underscore Bianchi underscore. And I'm also one of those people that I will reply to every single DM. If you're going to slide into my DMs, I will reply. I'm always happy to give out free advice, free information to offer guidance. 
I'm not going to try and charge you. If you want to ask me a couple of questions, please, I'm an open book. I'm transparent. I want to share my information and share my education with as many people as I can reach as possible. So please do reach out. Best place to find me. Otherwise, you can look me up on my website. It's www.otgmethod.com. Perfect. Yeah, and I can vouch for that because I, I, <laughs> you have replied to my <laughs> messages all the time. I'm like, and I, we've discussed like sumos all, like, yeah, and the fun <laughs> we have with those. <laughs> it's been so awesome uh, chatting to you. Just thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's really been cool. Oh, thank you for being part of this. I'm gonna like put this on pause and, uh, and then we can continue the conversation for a second. But yeah, thank you so much to whoever listens to this podcast, and hope you enjoyed this episode.